Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. Now this morning, it looks a little different, right? Some people have said, I look a little different. And I thought, after last week with Joe, with his you know, shirt and waistcoat and stuff, I thought, I need to, I need to up my game a little bit. So I've, I've dressed up a little. Uh, now this looks very different to what we normally do, right? This does look a little bit normal, different to what we do. But um, we are going through a series of God's promises. We're looking at God's promises because he's always good to his promise, right? He's always good to his promise. And any promise he gives, he's always good for. And uh, throughout history, uh, you will know that when God gives a promise, he gives a word or gives, does something, he often, he's often, particularly in the Old Testament, he's often linked it to um, a feast maybe. Um, I like feasts. So he links it to a feast, celebration, altars or ordinances that, to help people remember what he's done. Because he knows what we like. He knows that we will forget. Now, I've, I've got a wedding ring on. Not that I'll forget, um, help me forget that I'm married, but it does remind me of my, uh, my anniversary. Oh, yeah, anniversary. So there's things to remember, right? There's always things that we do to help us remember, and God does this a lot. Um, and so when God's given a promise, he's good to keep it. And this morning, we are going to be celebrating communion. We are going to be celebrating communion together um, so I'm going to read to you something that you will know. You've heard this before. You've heard this been said. You've heard this been spoken. And uh, it's very well known when we do communion. It, it spoke. So from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 26. Now this is from the ESV. And it says this. So this is Paul speaking. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave them thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're remembering the Lord's death until he comes. Last week, um, or a little while ago, Julian spoke on the, the four square. And one of those is the soon coming king. So by doing what we do, we are proclaiming him and that his death and that he will come again. He's going to return. So we need to remember that it's important. So this morning, I want us all to consider what Jesus was doing when the words that Paul recalled, what was Jesus doing? Where the metaphor and the language that he's using, the pictures that he's painting, what was Jesus doing when he said those words? He mentioned about the bread and he mentioned the cup. What was he talking about? Well, if you know the story and you know a bit of history, he was celebrating the Passover, so what I'm going to do this morning, we're going to look at that. Now, God's plan, you heard it in the video, you've heard it in church news, God's plan has always been a rescue plan. If you want to know more about what that is, can I, ask, can I suggest that that walk through the Bible day will be worth every penny you spend on it. And it's not a huge amount of money. And teens can go free with a full paying adult. 
get the history of what God is doing because you see it as a beautiful picture from way back, thousands of years ago. God is just not some thought that someone made up in the, in the 19th century, and this is a really good idea. God has always been throughout history, the history of humankind, and that day will be a great day, and God's plan has always been a rescue plan. And they remember that in the Passover. They think about that in the Passover, the celebration. Over 3,000 years they've been doing this. 3,000 years, the same celebration. Now, some of it's changed slightly. Some of it's been added, some bits, but we're going to go through them this morning. But if you remember... It reminds them of their redemption, their rescue, their re- rescue from, uh, from Egypt. Now, they were in Egypt and they were slaves. Um, and so we read about this in Exodus. A man called Moses was commanded to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let his people go free. Now, have you, has any of you seen uh, the Prince of Egypt? Seen the Prince of Egypt? It's also now a musical, yeah? So you understand the story. You've seen some of the story of what happened and uh, this is that story. So when the message got to Pharaoh, he said, no, basically. No, and the, there was um, ten, well, nine plagues were given, and there was a tenth. So ten plagues were coming on the land, and ten plagues were going to arrive every time he said no. So that included things like it was um, the land of Egypt was co- covered in gnats and fleas and hail and all kinds of stuff, uh, and it wasn't very nice. And those times, the uh, people of Israel were exempt from them, but they weren't exempt from the 10th automatically. There was something they had to do, but it all painted a picture that we're going to look at this morning. And so when the last one, which was the death of the firstborn, was going to happen, they had to do something. They had to get, they were commanded by God to get a lamb ready for sacrifice. And they had to get it ready. And in Exodus 12... So there's 5 to 8 and 11 to 15. If you want to look at those references, um, you can look them up or when, if you listen back or whatever, read them because I'm just going to touch on them here. So Exodus 12, we see that God commanded that they, they need to have a male lamb. It needed to be without blemish and then they need to kill it at twilight. Take some of the blood from it uh, and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house. So you've got the doorposts and the lintel of the house. They had to do that as a sign that for them, when God came, that their house was protected. Helen and I were just talking this morning. They didn't put the blood on the floor because you don't trample on the blood. That was an interesting. So as we're painting these pictures, remember these things because these pictures then become alive. There's something powerful about them. And so these signs on the house of when God is going to arrive, when he saw the sign, he would pass over. Then they were told um, to roast the lamb and then eat it with unleavened bread, so bread without yeast, and bitter herbs. They could have said jam or something, but no, he said bitter herbs. So they got to eat these things. They were commanded to do that. And then in verse 14 of Exodus 12, it says, This day shall be a memorial day, and that you shall keep this feast. Um, and you'll keep it to the Lord throughout your generation. So they've done it for thousands of years. As a statute forever, you shall keep this feast. Seven days... In verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So bread without yeast in. On the first day you shall remove all leaven, all yeast from your house. You'll clean it out. And if anyone eats the unleavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person should be cut off from Israel. This is a reminder, a celebration of what God is going to do and what God has done. 
So that over the years this has been celebrated, a few elements have been added, but most of what they still celebrate today would have been in part of the Passover meal that Jesus celebrated. He would have done it every year. As a Jew, he would have done it every year. And so most of what we see here um, was on there. Now, I want to make this point. I've got to say this, uh, and I want to make this absolutely clear. Uh, I don't know if there are any Jews in the house this morning. Possibly not. If you are, welcome. You are more than welcome. Um, as Christians, as non-Jews, so Gentiles, non-Jews, we are not commanded to celebrate the Passover. All right? I want to make it absolutely clear. I'm not doing this so that we now take this up and do this every time. No, this is not what this is about. I want to lay the ground of where, when Jesus said those words, what he was doing, and, and the, the powerful imagery of the emblems that he was taking and what they mean. So I'm just laying the ground. So we don't have to do the Passover. We are not commanded to do it. Just want to make that clear, okay? So um, it's, not a, it's not a thing that we have to do. But there are some powerful images that I want to touch on this morning. So this whole thing begins weeks before. So as they were commanded in Exodus 12, verse 15, they have to clean out all leavened bread. Anything with yeast in, they clean it out. And it's usually the mother that goes in, she wipes it all down, she wipes all the surfaces and cleans it all. Now, the Apostle Paul used this imagery of the cleaning of a house, getting rid of the leaven in in 1 Corinthians 5. So 1 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8 says this. Your boasting is not good. I think that's a good place to start. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A small piece of yeast doesn't just affect the piece it touches. It affects the whole loaf. Okay? That's the picture he's painting. Then he says, cleanse out the old leaven. So he's referring to the things that they did. You cleaned your house of anything with yeast in it. So cleanse out the old leaven. So when we see the, read these words, we're getting a picture of what he's talking about. So that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. So not leavened, but le- uh, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast or the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's using this picture of cleaning your house out as we can be cleansed through Jesus, the sacrificed lamb, that we don't have to pay the wages of sin. Don't live that old way with malice and evil. Don't live that way because that's the old way. You are now new creations. You have been cleaned, like they clean the house. So even at the beginning, before they start the feast, there's an image and a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus made, that we may be free. Right, right at the beginning. So they clean it out. And then the, uh, the next part of the meal is that the, the father stands up. We oh, haven't got that to the bit yet. Now, at the beginning, this, this is exciting. Now, the beginning of the celebration, we've already lit the candles because we wasn't sure if we had a... Um, a lighter, but we've lit in the candles. But at this point, this point, the mother of the home lights the candles. So she ushers in, she has the, the, the joy, if you like, the honour of ushering in the Passover. Now see if we're getting the picture. The mother brings the light into the celebration. There's just a picture, a hint of the idea that maybe the light of the world is going to come through. Do you see? Through the mother, Mary, a light is going to come into this world. 
And this is at the beginning of the meal. And so they would have done this and seen this imagery and these pictures. Jesus is the light of the world. In the beginning of this picture of, of um, God's redemption from Israel, they're going, hang on, there's a light of the world. And, the, and they're seeing all this stuff. It's incredible. And so when she stands up, she reads from a book uh, and tells stories and then reads a prayer. And she reads this prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us uh, to light the light of Passover. What a wonderful picture. This is where the Father stands up and he leads his family into worship. Now just as leaven was used as a symbol of sin, unleavened bread is used as a symbol of purity. Now this is um, matzah bread. Uh, it's, it's obviously got no leaven, so it's thin and flat. I'm going to come back to this later. But this in itself is a powerful picture. As you come to the meal, so they do that, they light the candle, the father leads uh, his family in worship, and then you come to these amazing, there's four cups in the meal. All right, we just read with this cup. So where does that fit in? Well, let me, there's, there's two cups I'm going to touch on, and then there's another two I'm going to come back to in a minute. The first cup, so they have one cup, and they drink from it four times. Cheers, everyone. It is just blackcurrant. It is just blackcurrant. It is, it is. I don't think, you know, no, it's just blackcurrant. Uh, now, so there's four cups. They drink from one cup four times. So they call it four cups. The first one is called Kadash, all right, or Kadesh. And that means sanctification. It's the cup of sanctification. And while they lift that up and they give thanks for it, they say again, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And they give thanks for the wine. They give thanks. It's part of the meal. So these things you just read, and Jesus, he did this, he gave thanks and said, he would have said these words. These words have been said for thousands of years. And he's thanking God for it. The second cup is the cup of plagues. So we've just read about the ten plagues in Israel. So the ten plagues. But this one they don't drink at first. They dip their finger in. And for each plague they mention, they put it on a plate. And they remember. And they remember. And from that point they come to the meal. They come to, it's called the Seder meal, because Seder, the word Seder means order. So there's an order, they take things. All right, and so um, I'm very thankful to my wife, who's an RE teacher. I've got this Seder plate. Um, she's helped me get that, which is wonderful, uh, just to help you. So they, now they use this, this plate and they have an order in which they celebrate things. But each thing has a powerful picture, which they may not have got then, but we, through looking back, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we get what they were talking about. So the first thing on the item is a thing called carpus or greens. Now, greens represent life. So life, and what they do in this, uh, in this pot here is salted water, salt water, which represents tears. And they place the greens in the salt water. And that reminds them that when they look back at the Hebrew nation, uh, the tears that were shed when, when they were slaves and had to work all their lives and they were slaves, they think back about the tears and being, tears of being in slavery. Okay, let's see another picture here. Tears of being in slavery. Outside of Jesus, we are enslaved to sin. 
It is a life of tears. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much things you do and how much uh, happiness you can try and buy, in the end, it's just tears. A life outside of Jesus is just tears in the end. And so they have this image of, of tears and life. And then, because we know outside of Jesus, no, there's no freedom. We feel free, but there's no freedom from sin. You can't run away from it. You can't hide. You can't put your head in a box and God not see you. He's going to see you. And we can't hide from it. But there is an answer. There is freedom, and it's brought in Jesus. And so a life they have immersed in tears. And then taking the greens out of the salt water reminds them that they were rescued. That they were rescued from this life of tears, and God helped them escape. And that's what God did with us, with Jesus. He's helped us escape from the things of sin. He's helped us be free from sin. And so that reminds us there. Now, there's this second part. It's called the maror, uh, or bitter herbs. And it's horseradish. Does anyone like horseradish? A few of you. Has anyone tried it and it just like clears your sinuses and makes you cry a little bit? Has anyone done that? Okay. So at this point, what they would do, they'll get a bit of the unleavened bread, they'll break it, right, they'll break the unleavened bread, and they'll get like a, 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 an amount on like a teaspoon or something like that, and then they will eat it. No, 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 no. I've got to finish, I've got to finish my message this morning. I can't do it. I just can't do it. But the point is, it brings tears to your eyes. Again, this is a representation of the hard work that they did in Israel, uh, not in Israel, in Egypt, and they, and they would cry. And it's due to the strength of the bitterness that brings the tears. All right? The bitterness causes tears. Now, in our lives, bitterness will do that to us. If we are bitter, it doesn't hurt anybody else except ourselves. Right? When we are bitter, it doesn't do anything for us. But this point in the supper, in the meal that they would have taken, scholars believe that this point in the Last Supper this is what Jesus was talking about. He said that in Matthew 26, 21 to 23, he says, um, as they were eating, Jesus, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to one, one after another, Lord, is it, is it I, is it me? He answered, he who dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now they all would have done that. Which is why, why, they probably look sorrowful eating the horseradish too. But they all would have done it. But then he does it again and hands it to Judas and says, do what you've got to do. He saw the bitterness inside Judas. He saw that bitterness. And, and he went out. And he would have known and understood the tears that would have been shed because of what he had to do. Jesus knew and saw the representation of the bitterness that is in us. The bitterness in that moment and what it would do. So whoever, like this, they've all done it, and then he does it again because there's a bitterness. But that's why the confusion, they would have dipped, they would have all shared the dish. But there was bitterness, and Judas went. Now the third item is the, I've got to do this right, charizet. You've got to get a little bit of like, in the back of your throat, charizet, which is um, basically, it's a mixture of um, apples and cinnamon and spice and it's lovely it's really really sweet which is probably why they have it after the horseradish to be honest because the horseradish is nasty um but this is this represents mortar 
So you've got, you've got this kind of apple mixture. It smells really sweet and nice. And, but it represents mortar. When they were enslaved in Egypt, they would have had to make the mortar and the bricks and everything to, to build all these wonderful things for the Egyptians. But it's a lot of hard work. And so in this, this reminds them. Now, I want you to get this. This reminds them that even the bitterest of trials can be sweetened by the promise of God. Can you see the picture through Jesus? The trials that we go through, everything that we go through can build perseverance, hope, trust. When we trust in Jesus, no matter how bitter the things that we go through, no matter how tough the things we go through, when we cling to the promises of God, there is sweetness. What has God spoken to you about? What promises has he given you? Have you given up on a promise because it hasn't happened yet? Are you doubting maybe the promise that he's given you because it feels a little bit bitter, it feels a little bit difficult, feels a little bit hard? Let me tell you, I can stand here and tell you without a hint of doubt that God's promises are true and there will be sweetness at the end. Because of what he has done for us. Now the next part is the chazaret, which is the bitter root. So they have the bitter root, which reminds them that even life even the root of life, when they, when they look back at the slavery, can be bitter. Now, the next part is an interesting one. This was added a bit later. I don't think Jesus would have had this because the temple was still around. But this, this is an egg. This is a hard boil. They, have, they hard boil it or roast an egg. Um, it's, it's a brown egg. And what they do is they, which is they celebrate today, they peel it, they slice it, and they dip it into the salt water. Do you remember what the salt water represented? tears absolutely so they would have they dip it in now this is something they do they cry over the fact that the sacrifice made to the temple can no longer be done why why tears why are they upset about that well for them particularly the temple held huge significance massive significance and in AD 70 it was just burnt to the ground it was collapsed it was crushed and broken and so all the things that they did, all the sacrifices, all the observance, offerings and things to the temple could not be offered anymore. And to them, that's major. All those things stopped. And so they weep. They cry. They remember that the temple is no more and the things that brought to the temple have now ceased. I don't know if you remember a story of when Jesus was with his disciple and he was picking bits of corn. Do you remember? And the Pharisees basically had a go at him. What are you doing? This is unlawful. Well, you know, he's against the temple or whatever. And then Jesus said, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus, talking about himself as the temple, then he references that again. And this temple will be brought down and then rebuilt in three days. And then when, he's, when he dies and he's resurrected, then we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The sacrifice that was made and now cannot be made that they weep over. When we look at it, we think, hang on. There has been a Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world that has been sacrificed once for all. And we are now joined as living stones to that temple. We are that living temple. We are now the very thing that God is bringing together. As the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing, isn't it? All these pictures. That right there. Then uh, the last thing is the Zoroa, 
which is the shank bone. It is the lamb bone. It's a shank bone. Now, what they would have done, they would have sacrificed the lamb. They would have done the things that they had to do. They would have roasted it and eat it. And they would have put the blood on the doorposts. Now, lots of people, have, I've, I've seen this, and I've seen it myself, where people, they think, they consider that the fact that, that you've got the top of the lintel and the two side doorposts, here you've got the sign of a cross. The three points. But you imagine that picture when the top, the sides, the bloodshed, it's usually wooden. Bloodshed on wood. Can there be a picture there that Jesus is talking about? Now, the centrality of the lamb in the feast for them was really, really important. Um, they had, now, for, after, after the, the, you know, they would have had, um, you know, this reminds them that the sacrifice of the lamb cannot be bought, but we know there's a greater lamb that was sacrificed. And when they put that blood on the doorpost, and then John the Baptist comes along and makes this announcement, here he is, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And, and then he replaces this lamb. He replaces that. And he is the lamb of God. So many pictures. I mean, this is just like mind-blowing. Now, I'm very excited about this. Okay. We're now going to look at, so the, the bit that I broke already, I'm just going to put that there. We're going to look at this. There's two main emblems, emblems that we look at in, um, in communion. And they are the bread... And the wine. So the bread. Bread is really important. Now, do you remember uh, when they was given in Exodus, they were told a certain way to do it. It had to be unleavened. It had to be without yeast. So the bread to be without yeast has to be absolutely flat. So there's no yeast. There's nothing to make it rise. To do that, I want you to capture this picture. All right? Holy Spirit. All right, get this picture. So... Leaven, yeast, represented sin, as Paul pointed out. So it was sinless, without yeast. I don't know if you can see, can you see the little holes in it? I don't know if you can spot that. What they do is they pierce it. So it's pierced. And then they cook it. And they cook it on like a a grill. And so it creates these stripes down it. Sinless, it's got stripes on it, and it is pierced. Then Jesus is the bread of life. Can you see the picture? Are you getting the picture? And so, the bread is sinless. It's got no sin in it. Jesus was sinless. He was the perfect lamb without sin. It's meant to be kept flat, so it's pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. For our sins, he was pierced. So the piercings in his hand and in his side show that he was going to be pierced, just like this bread. He had stripes on his back. By his stripes, we are healed. Stripes, this bread representing the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect Son of God. The three parts of this bread is made in such a way that it represents Jesus. And then this, this blew my mind. This blew my mind. Part of, the, part of the meal, the celebration, they have this thing called the matzah tosh. So the matzah is bread, the tosh is bag. So it's a bread bag. 
Okay, but matzotosh sounds a bit more, you know, fancy. Um, so it's a bread bag. And they keep in it, like this, I don't know if it's a picture, look, can you see three pieces of the unleavened bread? Now, rabbis tell us that the bag represents a unity. Get in the picture? A unity. Three in one. Three in one. Now, so there's a little bit of argument. Some say it might be the three patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But this, this what I'm about to do, tells us exactly what this unity is talking about. The middle piece is taken. So they take the middle piece out of the bag, and then it is broken in half. They then take some linen, they wrap this piece of bread in linen, they go and hide it or bury it in the house somewhere. This is called the, and that piece of bread, to give you another thing here, is called the afikomen, which means it comes later. A child is sent to find it, and it's brought back to the table like it's risen again. This picture, part of the Passover meal, is God's revelation to the world that who he actually is. He is this unity, this triunity of God, three in one, Father, Son, Spirit. The middle piece does not need to be broken, sent off, buried, and brought back to life if that didn't represent Jesus. And do you know what they do with that piece when it's found? They break it and share it amongst themselves. They share the bread amongst themselves. Can you see the picture? This is my body broken for you. Jesus telling the world and his disciples who he is and what his body represents. Now, I did say I'm going to come back to the other cups. And here they are. And then he says, uh, so Paul recalls, he says, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper. So after they've eaten and done all this bit, the third cup, this is where this third cup fits. So after supper, he says, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup. Do you know what this cup is called? This cup is called the cup of blessing and redemption. Blessing and redemption. So he's saying, the blessing that you need and the redemption that you're looking for, this cup is my blood poured out for you. So when you drink it, remember, I am the redemption. Now, if you read the Old Testament, only God could redeem his people. So he's revealing to his disciples, I am that redemption. This is my blood. I am the redeemer. I am the one who's going to redeem not only my people, but the whole world shed for you. 
And because he says it in Luke, and likewise, after uh, he took the cup and after they had eaten, so it's this cup, the third cup. So he takes the bread and he breaks it and shares it, and this is his body. Then he takes the cup, the cup of redemption, and says, This is my body, this is my blood, my body, my blood, this is who I am. It's amazing, isn't it? All in this, and they still celebrate this. And it's still there, and now we receive part of it, but the parts that Jesus told us to do that are passed on to us the bread and the wine. It's a new covenant, not written in stone, but written on our hearts. There's a change. There's something. Let me tell you something. This year, there's going to be a change for many people in this room. Some of it is going to be what you are looking for. Some of it is going to come out of a corner that you don't even know about because God is saying, I'm preparing this for you. You're thinking this, but this is what I'm doing. Some of us here this morning, there's going to be such a change, such a way that God is going to reveal himself that we are just going to be so mind-blown it can't be. Can you imagine being in that room and the, the things that they've celebrated for thousands of years, for maybe a thousand odd years, they've been doing this, remembering who God, what God has done for them, and he's saying, this is me. Can you imagine the being in that place? And all these things are being revealed to them, and they're, they're just like, I'm just, I'm just, what words do you have? But God is going to do something this year in many of our lives, and it's going to be different. It's going to be a change, and some of it's not going to be, some of it will be uncomfortable. Some of it won't be very nice, but there will be sweetness at the end. This brings me to the fourth cup. The fourth cup. They would bless it. Like the third one, it says, you bless it. So you bless it. They bless God, the king of the universe, the maker of the vine. They bless it. Psalm 107, verse 1 to 2, says this. It says, I give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who he has redeemed out of trouble. The fourth cup is the cup of praise. What on earth, what else can we do when we see and hear the revelation that God has revealed himself to us, who he is, what he's done, not just for the people of Israel, but for the entire world. What, is it, what can we do? What can we do to even begin to give thanks? Praise. Worship. He is our King of kings. He is our Lord of lords. There is no other response. A life of sacrifice is a life of worship. We can sing songs. We can sing psalms, hymns, songs, one to another. We can be in the Spirit. We can um, just say thanks. We can just live our lives according to what he has done and give our lives to him. It's a life of worship. There is no other response because we don't deserve any of this. But he has done it. God's plan has always been a rescue plan. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's what it means, that we speak it out. We speak out our praise. We say so. This is it. He's redeemed us. We say so. This is who he is. We say so. And then we praise and worship. The entire purpose of humanity is consummated in the act of this supreme love, of taking my place, our place, as a filthy criminal and being sacrificed and crucified for it on a cross. We remember the cross. We remember what Jesus has done. He is broken for us. He was sacrificed for us. And we remember those things. 
And all these images, when they took this Passover meal, when Jesus took it, he's using part of that from the history of their nation and revealing who he truly is. God, sacrificing his life to save the world that didn't deserve it. And we are here this morning because he has done an amazing thing. There is forgiveness of sacrifice. And if you've ever heard the phrase, this is interesting, if you've ever heard the phrase, oh, we're saved by the blood, this is what this means. It's a weird, it's a weird way of saying, in the 21st century, we've got no context, it's a weird thing to say, saved by the blood. But this blood, this blood of redemption, the sacrifice of the lamb that they celebrated for years and years and years and years is in Jesus. That's what we mean when we say that. Jesus is that sacrifice. He is that lamb. He is our redeemer. He's the one that rescues us from sin. There is no other way. When Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, he wasn't joking. He is the only way. There is no other way. There's no, there's no way. You can't buy your way to salvation. You can't be good enough to get salvation. You can't follow many gods to find your way. to. There isn't. There's only one way. God himself, Father, Son, Spirit. There is only one way. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.